Welcome to the dinner table. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. And right here from the start, I want to say, share with a friend. Maybe there's someone else that would like to join you at the dinner table with us each week. My name, of course, is Aislinn Campbell. And with me, as always, Joe Hilliard. Hi, 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 everyone. Walked in the door to record and you said, I just made a smoothie. Would you like some? I was like, "Uh, yeah. I do. I mean, I'm serious about the smoothie stuff. What's in this one? Everything. I know people get so frustrated with me, but it's the truth. You know, I know what could go in a smoothie. And if I have that, I throw it in. My, I my, taste basil. Yeah, it does have some basil in it. It has basil. It has Swiss chard. It has beet greens. It has carrot. I mean, seriously, it has kale. It has mushrooms. It has nut butter. Could the list go on? Yes, it could. Well, I can just tell you it's delicious. It's definitely become very much a part of my daily routine. And I'm not a very religious type person in that I'm not good at routines, but I have noticed that this idea of having a smoothie every day, which is what I use to break my fast, which is usually around noon, and then taking my supplements has become pretty steady. And I think me going through the surgeries during pandemic era Mm -hmm. and the idea of pandemic era, meaning here we go into the rest of our lives where wellness, if it's not at the very top of your priority list then you're not in alignment with what's happening on the planet right now. And so for me, what it's done is it said to me, there are some essential things that you cannot go without. And a smoothie helps with that. Hey, you know, we got a little fan feedback this week. I love hearing from people. I, I love too. the engagement. I like it in all things I do. I want people to talk to me. Well, I mean, you're sitting virtually with us at the dinner table the yeah. way that you can really chime in with an opinion on something that we talk about or a recipe variation or a recipe anything fan feedback us (laughs) we're in the dm world just dm us so this listener wrote good dinner table talks this week by the way i got a little choked up for you he's talking about me Mm -hmm. and then he goes on to say me projecting for sure in other words this person that wrote this when aislin was going in on you needing to work through pain and trauma It really caught me off guard. I was thinking we're listening to a fun segment about a lively dinner with great friends. And indeed, that's exactly what that little part was about. But then it went more into psychoanalysis and the topic you were discussing hit home with me to some extent. Yes. I think we have a lot to unpack here. Yeah. uh, You know, there's a purpose to this podcast that is about food and lifestyle and fun and great conversations But there's also, and I I think it's the case with certainly anything I'm involved in, there's also always some mm, philosophical movement Mm. that's happening. And so I'm glad to hear that someone was surprised and even thoughtful about something that was intended to be that. It was a story about the feeling and the energy and the experience that we had or that I had, certainly. And then, of course, you gave your thoughts on what you felt. And maybe you could do a little bit more about that. We could dig into it a little bit more. But the thing about it is, is that it breaks up what you would traditionally think someone's going to talk about at the dinner table. That's right. In my opinion, there is always expansion and evolution and shifting and forward momentum. It is about experiencing life. Quality of life at the highest level is simply living the absolute best life that you can live today, whatever that is for you. Yes, we're foodies. Yes, we like to talk about our lifestyle. 
But what's important about it and what has been a huge factor in our relationship and how it came together, things you were interested in, things I'm interested in, the work we've done as volunteers in our community, it's all about quality of life. We regard the quality of our life with such a high value that not only do we want to have it for ourselves, we want to create an atmosphere that helps to create it for other people and inspire other people to create it for themselves. Would you say that it's part of a partnership that when one of the other's quality of life does not seem to be hitting some kind of ideal that we might have discussed together, Mm -hmm. that you do bring it up, that you do help your partner push forward, that you do not shy away from it? I think if you're willing honest and brave enough to step into things that don't feel that good, then yes. But what has happened in a lot of America, I believe up until the recent 2020 situation, is that we simply settle into, well, this is just what it is. And it's more painful to have the hard discussion with my partner and to talk about why I feel the way I do and to face the fact that my partner might have some criticisms of me. Mm-hmm than it is to go, you know what? If we have a hard conversation, it can go one of three ways. Mm -hmm. Nothing can change and we both just settle into that's just what it is and we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. We decide that it's time that it's not working anymore and we move in different directions. Mm -hmm. Or we both shift, move forward, and continue to create all of the dreams we could ever imagine Today. And shifts are required to get to that goal, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's the leveling up. It's the evolution. It's the expansion. In my opinion, it is really our only job on this planet as humans is to be, to experience, to recognize what we don't like and what we do like. And focus a little bit more on what we do like and a little less on what we don't like so that we get more of what we do like and less of what we don't like. For the record. You were not going in on me. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, we were having an extension of a real conversation or conversations that we have had prior. Yeah. And we're attempting to make those relatable and palatable. So if this listener said, and it struck a nerve with me. Right. Then the relatability. At At our table, we said that from day one, there is safety in being our friend and having discussions with us. But the relatability of what I may be digging into a little bit and you're going to hear about what I'm digging into a little bit. Maybe not today, maybe, but Mm -hmm. certainly as we go on things that you're digging into, Mm -hmm. that's what the podcast is all about. Absolutely. Okay. I have a question for you. And the reason I have this question for you is because we've got some other fan feedback. Mm -hmm. Our friend David said, Hey, I have that exact Beastie Boys, what do you call the t-shirt? Ringer tee. Ringer tee. He he said he had that back in the 90s. We're the same age, by the way, David and I are. Right. So, of course, he had that t-shirt. He's way into music, probably, not probably, way more than me. And of Of course- Of my friends. Yeah. He's in top two of into music. Right. Mm-hmm. Go did ahead. Did you happen to find me one of those? I did tell you on a whim that I was going to order you that for a second Mother's Day gift. And it was that evening that I said those words that I found it and ordered it. Now, I could have ordered one of two things. Number oh one, an original vintage shirt from the actual time period. 
Yes. I did not spend $150 on a shirt on Etsy. Can you imagine if I still had that freaking shirt? Well, I was talking to David about not that same shirt. Not because I would sell it, yeah. but just because I had that shirt. He said, I had the exact same shirt and I wore it until it just I fell apart. Maybe I did. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I'm thinking, that that's what happened. Or somebody lifted it off me in college, which that's, happened a lot back in those days. Can I borrow that shirt? Uh -huh. I.e., can I take this shirt and you never see it again? <laughs> and then number two, or number two a replication which is on the way and we'll be here within three to four weeks oh my god y'all you're gonna be intergalactic planetary I am planetary intergalactic. some quality of life y'all which by the way i would have never gone to intergalactic by the way just saying let's save that for next week what beastie boys song just leaps to mind when you're doing a show <laughs> I did find out the country of origin of both teppanyaki and dim sum that you requested last week. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. It's a musical episode. <laughs> teppanyaki is I a style. I think every week it's a musical episode if you think about it because I'm pretty sure we sang a song about seasons last um, turn, turn, episode. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> the birds. Teppanyaki is a style of Japanese cuisine derived from the words tepan, iron plate, and yaki, grilled, boiled, or pan-fried. So it literally means grilling on an iron plate. Which is what you do. <laughs> What's more, teppanyaki is a combination of Eastern flavors and Western side dishes. And while teppanyaki is a style of cooking, it's definitely more of a performance. Uh-huh. The art of teppanyaki cooking began around 200 years ago in Japan. The first teppanyaki restaurant chain, Masono, opened in Kobe in Japan in 1945. Hmm. But it was more popular with foreigners than it was for the native Japanese. And when that trend took off, the chain decided to increase the performance of the chef's food preparation, performing food stunts. And they give you one example. Can you guess which one it is? The volcano? The, the fire volcano? volcano made out of an onion. Yeah. It was first introduced to the Western world shortly after 1945, following the end of World War II. Now, that's important. Right. Back then, you can imagine that globalization, the idea of being able to share ideas globally really was born out of soldiers coming back from several different wars. Right. They would go to a culture, have a little R&R, &R, enjoy the cuisine, finish the war, come home and say, I wish that we had some of that cuisine, at least, back here in the States. In the USA, the first teppanyaki restaurant chain was Benihana, mm -hmm. opened in New York in 1964. Have you ever eaten at a Benihana? I have. Probably in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Somewhere here in but Texas. But we've never eaten at a Benihana. We've done teppanyaki, but not Benihana, right? No. I ate at Benihana in New York City, and that was the very first time I had calamari served as a steak and not like the rings, you right, know, right, you right. see deep yeah. fried, but yeah, like a steak cool. of yeah. calamari. And I can remember to this day how delicious it was, and I've tried to find that calamari steak since then often. We went to, it was called the Kobe Beef Steakhouse yeah. here in our town. Mm -hmm for a lot of celebrations mm -hmm. when I was a kid. My family is pretty adventurous about food. Yeah. And celebrations are always around food, that kind of thing. Imagine that, me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Raised by a foodie family. I was the same one. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things where like, I would ask to go to have Kobe beef after graduation right. at every birthday year. Mm. Okay, dim sum. Dim sum is a traditional Chinese meal made up of... I've been craving dim sum since we started talking about it. <laughs> well, it's made up of small plates of dumplings and other snack dishes, and it's usually accompanied by tea. Tea is an important critical part of a dim uh -huh. sum experience. Similar to the way that Spanish eat tapas, the dishes are shared among family and friends. 
Nowadays, dim sum is eaten all over China and the world, but the dishes are believed to originated in the southern China region. So it's definitely a Chinese cuisine. You and I have eaten dim sum one time in my recollection, and that was in Chinatown in San Francisco. And that was a meal that brings back not only fond memories, but it was just a meal of the ages. Me sitting down and doing something for the very first time. Me not understanding exactly what was going on. Had you not eaten dim sum Never. before then? Never. Somehow I didn't realize that. Never. And what I was met with was a very typical restaurant table. <laughs> we had but no then idea what we were doing. <laughs> servers yeah. bringing a cart through. Coffee trolleys. Yeah, a coffee we trolley. We talked about those the other day. <laughs> and this time on the coffee trolley might be some dumplings. Uh-huh. And if I want those dumplings, I'll, I'll take them. Small little bite, two or three dumplings. And then the next time the cart comes around, there might be an array of squid dishes, different little bites. And uh, I think I want that. I think I want that. And of course, in our tradition, doing something for the, me, doing something for the first time, being on a vacation, you and I always seeking out, how would you want to say it, foreign food experiences that are just not available where we live. Yeah, exotic, anything. Just exotic. seems different. Uh, we overbought. <laughs> oh my God. We, for, we, yes. 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 I'll take that. Yes. 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 And then we're like, um, there will be a bill coming. coming. Let's stop and be a little more selective. <laughs> Let's just roll by with another cart. Oh, there's something else here. And then we're like, well, we didn't like that one. Well, we like this one. Right. When my mom and Cortland and I went to New York City, mm -hmm. we went to Chinatown, in New York City. We ate at the dim sum place. Mm. We had it a part. It was a part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Getting around New York City, as you know, getting around San Francisco, it's it's hard to get around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you have to be very planned out in your timing, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. It's this tiny little restaurant, but it is a very, very, very popular restaurant. And we literally sat in the street in Chinatown for probably like an hour and a half with everybody else that was sitting in the street in Chinatown. I can hardly even imagine how New York City handled six feet of space per person. Mm. But it was... Everyone moved out. That, for real, that's <laughs> right. a big problem for New York City right now. Yeah. They lost some population. And then you get packed into these tiny little tables in this super crowded restaurant. Mm -hmm. and, there, and there weren't trolleys at this one. But you had a menu and you picked stuff out. I honestly don't remember the food. Like, I remember the food when we went to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. But I don't remember the food at this other place. I remember being very happy about it. But I also remember this experience of sitting on the street in Chinatown for two hours in New York City. It's so odd. You are listening to episode 2.37. One year ago, we released 1.37. The non-seasonal eating topics were how to cook a liver. We asked our audience to weigh in on that. We eventually made a pate with it. Did we? Yeah. Huh, cool. You took the girls on a Mother's Day-themed beach trip around the entire horn. You remember that? Oh, yes, I do remember that. Oh, sweet peas. We had a Mother's Day seafood boil out at the farm. Yes, I did remember that we had done that. And we were, of course, in the middle of the five mother sauce challenge and my hollandaise sauce broke. Not a lot of talk a year ago today about seasonal vegetables. But last week, doing that segment, for the very first time, we mentioned that we had had a Mexican squash casserole. Because this is the time of year when squash abounds. Mm, I love it. I then went on to say that we were going to put that on our rotation and never made it again. So this week, it <laughs> seemed like a great time to make that recipe, but you wanted it more as like a main dish, and we were curious about, can we add beef to this 
casserole that otherwise does not have beef in it. I remember the way you made it last night is how I remembered it from the past. So I like created the new thing in my head a year later and said, can we do this? Yeah. (laughs) I thought last night's one year later version of it was 10 times better than my memory of how it was the first time. Really? I really do see this going in our rotation now. I said that last time. You're eventually going to bake your casserole in the oven. So you take a large bowl and put in thin slices of squash. I agree with that. Some grated cheese. <laughs> last night last night he came over there to the table and he was like, we were talking about the recipe and the cheese he used. And I was like, the cheese is really good. And he goes, but I definitely grated. Mm-hmm. I learned that on dinner table talks. Some sliced up onion. I agree with that. It calls for a can of diced chilies, which I did use, and then a can of jalapeno. But you're growing so many peppers that for the jalapeno, I just used the fresh peppers that you'd grown. Yeah, I have a lot of serrano peppers right now. So Sprinkle a little flour on that. I used arrowroot to keep it grain-free, a little bit of the salt that you've been making. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to add beef to it. Right. That's me adding an ingredient that isn't called for, and the recipe's not telling me how it all comes together, but I just basically made taco meat, but I used a fraction of the spice profile, the cumin, the chili powder, the paprika, the cardamom, not as much as I normally do for tacos. Uh I didn't want to overwhelm the Uh dish. Right. Once I got that made, I drained that meat as much as possible, put that in the bowl, stir it all up put that in my casserole dish that goes in the oven 30 40 minutes pull it out then put a thick layer of cheese on top put it back in the oven uncovered now so that it gets that bubbly Mm -hmm. cheesy a little bit of brown on the cheese Mm -hmm. pull it out let it rest i sprinkled on some more of your freshly cut onions and now tomatoes what i love about this dish is how many different squash we can use and the thing is is that everybody gets really burnt out on squash Mm -hmm. but this dish doesn't like highlight the squash Mm -hmm. It's just got squash in it. Squash is tasty, but it also is pretty much just a nice beef cheese casserole. Yeah. Right? Which is some of your favorite things to eat. Right. So I had a tromboncino squash in there. Tromboncino. You've heard us talk about that. It's it's a very long squash with a bell end. So I had brought one one of those home. I had an immature acorn squash and then just whatever spare squash I had that hadn't sold or already been eaten, those got thrown in there as well. So I've got all the different summer squash. And I know that there's a lot of families out there right now that are either been gardening for a while like me, or they're just getting gardening. And squash is one of those things that before you know it, it's literally eight foot long and coming out your ears and you've given it to every neighbor. And now your neighbors hate it when you get on their front porch and leave them a bag of yellow squash. Squash (laughs) is one of those vegetables, if I understand you correctly, that make everyone hate you eventually, (laughs) including your family and friends. Yeah. Yeah, so... Try to come up with something oh, extra Oh, you're cheesy. bringing over some <laughs> freshly grown vegetables. I always appreciate I got squash. Leave. Listen, here's the thing that's great about me. I know squash so well. Only one thing. <laughs> oh, there's plenty. But I know squash so well, I know how to keep it from being the squash that's obnoxious that nobody wants anymore. I'm picking that squash tiny. It's a little bitty baby squashes. Mm, it doesn't have an opportunity to toughen up. Toughen up. Yeah. And it just doesn't make so much meat that you're just like, what am I going to do with all this meat? It's a beautiful, young, fresh squash that doesn't have a bunch of seeds in it. 
That's when you harvest your squash listeners. Little, daily, if you don't go out to the garden for a couple days, be ready for some ginormo squash and you're going to be making squash boats and everybody will hate you like they hate me. (laughs) Squash is the centerpiece of the meal often does elicit a groan in some (laughs) of the hallways of this house. Let's be honest. Not for me. I like squash. My mom always made it the old-fashioned kind of Southern grandma way. Sliced in some water on the stovetop with some onions and some garlic. Your That's... mom comes from that era of people that just boiled food. Yeah. They just boiled all their food. Mm-hmm. That's my least favorite way to eat squash, by the way. I know. That's why we don't do it in our house very much. But if you like your casseroles gooey with cheese mm. and packed with meat. It was a bit greasy, I have to admit. Understood, but it was... Had some damn fine flavor. It was good. It was good. And then, of course, you served it with, like, probably my favorite salad on the planet. I don't know. It's a toss-up. I love the caprice salad, which mm-hmm. we'll be having some of that soon, I too. I didn't have any mozzarella. We could have done it. Right. The caprice, the tomato, the balsamic vinegar, the basil, and the mozzarella. Okay. So then, all of a sudden, I got Italian. I <laughs> said caprice. <laughs> so this salad was another one of my favorites. My grandmother back in the old days made it very basic. It goes along with that same concept of we boiled everything. This was pretty basic. Yeah, yeah, but this was much more like my grandmother wouldn't have done any of that because my grandfather wanted the basic boiled, the basic food. Mm -hmm. He didn't want any extra spices or seasonings or any of that stuff. So she would make, and she was a great gardener. The vegetable gardening came from that grandmother. The flower gardening came from the other grandmother. She would use... The 1015 onions, Mm -hmm. which either whether she grew them or most of the time back in those days, we were just getting 1015 onions from our part of Texas, from South Texas, from Mm -hmm. the valley, because they grew so close. They were so easy to get them that that's where she just got 1015 onions from. For those of you that are not in South Texas region, the 1015 onion is literally named after a highway where it was kind of formulated. And it is a very, very sweet, ginormous yellow onion. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of them in the summertime down here because we live so close to where they grow them at. But I also grow those. Mm -hmm. So she would put in the 1015 onion. She would put in the big, beautiful beefsteak tomatoes that she grew in her garden. Diced, sliced, chunked? Big chunks. Okay. Yeah. And then she would also put in, of course, the cucumbers. And most of the cucumbers that we grew or that she grew and that we're growing, I'm growing a little bit of everything, but... Mostly what she grew were called pickling cucumbers, very small cucumbers that you harvest small, super sweet, delicious cucumbers. Toss it in white vinegar and a little bit of basic vegetable oil Mm -hmm. and stir it up, salt and pepper. That's what, and we had that all summer long. In fact, it would even be in a jar in the refrigerator or a Tupperware container in the refrigerator and it just stayed there. And she'd just chop off some more stuff and just throw that back oh, in well. there. And we would just eat that all summer long. Well, salad is always leafy greens with a dressing on top. And you're saying you're out of those. Those aren't going to yep. be coming in. I guess it will be a landmark occasion when I go to the grocery store and buy a head of lettuce, which right. we may have to do, you know, sometime. But then you said there's other kinds of salads. I mean, think about it. Like coleslaw is a salad. So what did we make? And how did we take that? Salad. How did we take that basic recipe and... So this is a cucumber tomato salad. That's the basic name of it. And on this one, it says use a long English cucumber, which Mm -hmm. you use the pickling cucumbers. That's what I'm growing. Tomatoes. I have the Cherokee purple tomatoes right now. And then a bunch of different varieties of cherry tomatoes. Also red onion. It did look like you had some red onion. I had your red onion. Perfect. And then of course, fresh herbs. This says parsley, basil, dill. I think you had all three of those. I had all of the above straight from your backyard. 
and red wine vinegar, salt, pepper, olive oil. Boom. So easy. And now that those cucumbers are coming in, those tomatoes are coming in, I feel like we'll have this every couple of weeks or so. Just a little something nice on the side, and it takes five minutes to make. They do want you to stick it in the fridge for at least 20 minutes to let it, A, cool down, and B, let those flavors merge. I would like for it to just be around in our refrigerator all the time because this is one of those things But me and Lily will both just snack on because we love cucumbers and tomatoes for that matter. I have a new crush. Oh? Uh-huh. Should I be concerned? I don't think so. She's a 73-year-old woman. <laughs> I think I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> I am a super fan of May Musk, y'all. Like, I can't talk about anything else these days. Like, it's all I want to talk about to, like, everyone. And I think... We watched that Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live, and it was on Mother's Day. They pulled all... All the cast pulled their mothers in, and uh -huh. then Elon Musk's mother was there. It's the first time I ever saw her or learned anything about her at all. Someone must have mentioned to me that he was coming on SNL or whatever, mm -hmm. or I saw it somewhere. And so then I kind of looked into that. And then all of a sudden, May Musk ended up in my feed somewhere, in my stream somewhere. And so I watched a video of her talking. And this was before I saw the SNL thing. I watched a video of her talking and I was like, damn. It was right around Mother's Day in that Cortland was home. Mm -hmm. We were talking about him, his success in school. He just took an internship with one of the big five like financial auditing companies in the entire world. Mm -hmm. My kid did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and just thinking about what all the other three well, kids He's in a, he's in a special do. business school program. He's excelling. It's, it's incredible yeah, to watch. He's, yeah. And just this like kind of strange kid that was always just smarter than any ever made sense to anybody around mm -hmm. definitely had the things about him that were unique right so may musk came across my feed and i looked back at her and i bought a book that she um has done it's called a woman makes a plan mm -hmm. and she's telling you her life story of like the pain and the trauma and the challenges that she went through to get to where she is today to where at age 69 she became a supermodel and all the way up to the age of 73, she is writing books and model, supermodel all over the world and one of the biggest influencers on social media. Mm -hmm. She is an Instagram famous person that doesn't have anything to do with who her son is. She's social media famous on her own. And not only that, she has three of the most amazing, outstanding, kind, open-hearted children one of whom everyone on the planet, anyone that doesn't live in a jungle, knows his name, mm -hmm. Elon Musk, right? World-changing children. One of her children does what I do, farm-to-table stuff, you know? And, oh, okay. of course, a beautiful, healthy mother, dietitian, an interest in local farming, an interest in small farming, an interest in supporting that. So I just found her to be really someone that I could really start thinking about. Do you remember that time we were at the baseball game? It was probably five plus years ago. And an older woman, I, I pointed at her and I said, that's what I'm going to look like yes. when I'm 70, yeah. whatever, 70 I, I years old. distinctly remember that. Memory. She had super short, cute shorts on, not unattractive, like too sexy, but like very appropriate. But she was healthy enough to she wear. She was pulling it off. Right. Yeah. She had a nice 
clean white tank top on. She had a little red bandana tied around her neck. She had a cute little hat on. And then she had a perfectly done silver bob. Mm -hmm. And she looked like a 70-year-old gorgeous woman. And I was just like, that's me. I can see me being that. And so then in all of the coaching worlds that I'm flitting around in these days, there's a lot of talk about setting your energetic standards. Like what is it that you want from life? Because a lot of times people don't even know what they want when it comes down to it. Like we had a conversation the other day where I was like, what do you want? When you answer the question, not picking on you or going in on you or anything like that, but don't go there, in on is me. <laughs> there is no... I can't no... do two weeks in a row. <laughs> oh, get, get used to it, buddy. <laughs> so the idea of really knowing what you want... Mm-hmm. You have to think about it. You have to write it down. And then you have to, after you write it down, you have to go back and look at it and go, is that what I actually want? If someone's asking you to do a journal report of what do you want? Write it down. What are your energetic standards? What do you want from life? Okay. That's one thing that they'll ask a lot about. And the second thing they'll ask a lot about is who in the world could you calibrate to? You begin to feel this sense of restlessness. Mm -hmm. I need to improve. I need to change. I need to shift. I need, I want something different from my life. Everyone knows the feeling, even if they ignore it, you know what that feeling feels like. Well, something that has been taught is to find people that have already leveled up to kind of the next level you might be aspiring to be a part of and try to calibrate to them. Mm -hmm. And part of that, what do you want and what are you calibrating to is what would it look like if someone saw you walking by on the street? And in my mind, the version of Aislinn that was walking by on the street was walking through a really interesting cultural place. And in my mind, she looks like either May Musk (laughs) or this woman that I saw over there. That's just well-dressed, colorful, great hair, very healthy. Clearly takes care of themselves. Confidently mm-hmm. striding, but an older woman, a, a refined, sophisticated mobile. woman. Mobile. Mobile. Very mobile. Mm-hmm. Very, very mobile. My God, 73 years old, and she's as more active than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the things that was a part of that conversation, too, was this idea of when you're finding someone to like level up to or to calibrate to... There's an element of finding somebody whose qualities are similar to you. Yeah. Because every time I would try to think of like, okay, well, I'm just going to think about, I'm going to look into all the wealthy women in the world. Okay. That didn't work. Okay. What about wealthy farmers in the world? Uh, What about um, public speakers in the world? Uh, That just couldn't find the one that connected with me. But there's something about this powerful, beautiful healthy, leading edge mother that has a PTSD background, Mm -hmm. Hmm. but also came from amazing exploring parents. There's a lot of qualities of similarity. As I listened to her describe Elon, now every mother might say this, as I listened to her describe Elon as a young child, she could be describing Cortland. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. Just the way she describes him, the conversations that they were having. I always wondered about Cortland. Like, we're having some of the most adult, in depth conversations at the age of like seven. Whoa, where did you come from? Right. You know, and so there's all of these qualities, I think, that align. You know, I've got an event coming up on Thursday. 
Thursday is um, technically for religion, religious purposes, Christian, the Christian religion. It's the day of ascension. Mm. So after you've gone through Lent and after you've gone through Easter and all of that, this is the day that Jesus rose into heaven, mm -hmm. basically. And ascension's been really important to me. Not necessarily that I'm going to left behind, I'm going to float out of my body into <laughs> heaven, but just this idea that there's been something very, very big that's been going on on our planet in the last 18 months. Mm. Like more has happened in the last 18 months than has happened in the last five years of a lot of people's lives. And Forced change also. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's planetary and it's global and it's in all of our systems and it's not all necessarily related to the pandemic because there's other things that are happening all at the same time that could be considered equally catastrophic if you weren't going through all of them at the same time. Right. I feel like there's a time, an important time for healing, clearly, because we've been talking about that a lot. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it in many other episodes. I've gone through some healing processes. I wanted to host a private event in my own backyard on Ascension Day and invite through safe conversations. I didn't just run out and invite all the public. Right. I had one-on-one -on -one conversations with a lot of people before I even invited them to it to say, this is a safe place. It's a group of women getting together to lift each other up. And when I talk about that, I think that there's a really important part of understanding that empaths, empaths are people that when they walk into any room, they can feel what's going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of times empaths, myself, have been prescribed different kinds of mental like mental health words okay. like anxiety depression mm -hmm. ptsd sensory overload mm -hmm. autism i mean there's a lot of these types of spectrum that that most people would put all of those types of people into a empathic nature they're very sensitive they can feel everything when we're going into a time where I believe that a huge part of Ascension is the compassion that we offer to other human beings as we're all going through this massive shift, some of it includes grief, a lot of grief going on. A lot of it has to do with health and wellness and quality of life, the mind-body-spirit connection. How do we offer compassion as empaths? Because what happens a lot of times with empaths is that we are very compassionate and we rush to be compassionate for someone, but we don't have, we haven't done anything to protect ourselves from that energy suck. We haven't done anything to fill ourselves. We don't even have enough energy to actually be a good compassionate empath for this person. And so the things that we can do to hold each other in this space safely with this women around the fire on Ascension Day is say, I'm here to hear your stories and we're here to exchange compassion and exchange sensitivities. And so that when we walk, when you walk away, you've had the ability to ascend through some of the healing you need to do because there were other women there that were able to lift you up. And in addition to that, you're able to recognize better how to be compassionate while not having all of your energy sucked out and kind of creating a safe space for yourself. I believe that if two women, 10 women, 100 women... Are there 100 women and coming into the backyard? No. Oh, the entire city, that if a group of people spend some time sharing light and love, it changes 
the world around us. And it does change the things that are maybe seen by more people on the planet. It sounds like a very positive event. And outside of so. collecting the firewood that you said that you would need for a fire that you want to build, fire was an important aspect of this for you. I'm, I'm going to make myself scarce. And I really look forward to hearing how this turns out. One of the things I brought to the table today, because um, I'd spoken about this as it relates to kind of thinking about becoming someone that could bring together a group of people and say, this is a safe space to heal. This is a safe space to support each other. And today's energetic standards were me saying, this is what I want out of life. I think that it'll give you an idea of what my intentions are. And even for this podcast, what my intentions are. Please. And this is pretty raw, you guys. This is um, straight from my heart. This is, you know, that journaling style where you just take your pen and you just start writing things. My energetic stands for 512. The larger my sphere of influence is, the more humans I inspire. The more humans I inspire, the more I get back in energy. The more energy I have, the more I want to do. The more I do, the more money I make. The more money I make, the more security I feel. The more security I feel, the more freedom I create. The more I create, the more I inspire. The more I inspire, the more I influence. The more I influence, the more influential power I grow. The more I grow, the more seeds I plant. The more seeds I plant, the more abundance I have. The more abundance I have, the more I can share. The more I share, the greater my influence grows. The more my influence grows, the more money I make for influencing. The more money I make for influencing, the more quality of life I enjoy. The more quality of life I enjoy, the more quality of life I have to teach and inspire with. The more enjoyment I feel, the more filled up I am. The more full I am, the more I have to share. The more I have to share inspires more attraction. The more I attract, the more I influence. The more I influence, the more I love and light I create on the planet. The more joy I feel, the more freedom I live, the more money I spend, the more energy I have to share. It sounds like a upward spiral. Mm -hmm. It sounds like when you kick it off correctly and have all those intentions in place, you would easily move up and up and up. That's the goal. Ascension is a word that you used earlier yep. in a religious context, certainly, but that would be an ascension, wouldn't yep. it? As yep. opposed to, and I think you and I disagree on this a little bit, but the general world that isn't tuned into concepts like these, that it's perfectly okay to be involved in a downward spiral where you could take every cause and effect of continuing to move up and replace it with cause and effect of continuing to decline. Yeah, I just think that's now, you more don't live you... in that world. Or you're attempting as hard as you can not to live in that world. But like I said, there's plenty of listeners, I think, out there that might go, well, that's just a different point of view. Well, w what am I doing to fix the problems? Because if you go back through the energetic standards again, it's the ability to actually make change doesn't come from wallowing in the pain of the things that you're dealing with. And this is where it all comes back to a May Musk that makes an Elon Musk that changes the freaking world. Mm -hmm. And that's me. That's me. That's who I am. Well, I, like I said, I look forward to hearing how this event goes. I know. And here's the thing, friends. Trust me. Check out May Musk, especially you ladies out there, because I promise you that she's got some good messages to share. And she's got a fantastic book right now. So great for your audible listening. Her name is May, like the month, but with an E on the end. 
That was my Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live impression. <laughs> As you mentioned, all the kids were here, including two boys that now live out of town. And something that has to happen when our boys come home, and something that our girls take for granted until they leave, is the horrible state in the rest of the country once you get north of South San Antonio. Breakfast north tacos. Of South San Antonio. <laughs> There's a line, and it's <laughs> just south of San Antonio. If you live in South San Antonio, you might be able to get good taqueria breakfast. Uh -huh. But north of that, it's an abysmal, vast wasteland. And if you disagree with that, I would love for you to send us some information about where you're getting great taqueria breakfasts. But this is when I don't cook. This is when I don't take advantage of the chicken eggs. And on once a weekend, but when the boys were in town, we definitely do it. It's, hey, I'm going out to pick up breakfast tacos and bring them in. And then we six of us sat around the table and had a fantastic morning. When I'm not with you, my breakfast taco order is... Eggs a la Mexicana. Now let's get into this briefly. A la Mexicana means that to the scrambled eggs, they add a mixture of onion, jalapeno, and tomato. Mm -hmm. Red, white, and green. Just like the colors of the flags of Mexico. A la Mexicana. We do that here a lot. Mm -hmm. I'll get that with avocado. And of course, I'll use their homemade salsa. Salsa, salsa. Your breakfast order, because you're grain-free, and we assume that their corn tortillas have a little bit of flour in them. Yeah, I got. I was getting sick a little bit after doing eating that, so I... Well, you tell us. It's tortilla-less. The roasted potatoes, refried beans, the mixture that you talk about, which I recently asked you to add spinach to it as well. And they complied? Yep. And then he always brings me queso... Which, like on queso, a small thing of cheese dip. It's my weekly pint. I'm translating for our non-South Texas audience. <laughs> it's my weekly pint of queso. Uh -huh. Speaking of that healthy lifestyle, sure. she doesn't always follow her own rules. <laughs> weekly queso, I'm not sure falls into the correct category of food. Everything uh... in moderation. And I know you well enough to know that you are using the term moderation correctly. <laughs> except for chocolate. <laughs> That's not true. I've gotten really good with you the really chocolate. You really have. I'm kidding I've been around. trying very hard. I layer it up and I pour the queso across the top of it and I eat it. There is a Mexican dish. It's something. That might be an unanswered question. They put tortilla chips in it, but it's migas. the same thing. No, it's not migas. It's... That's not chips. Chilaquili. Chili... Chilaquili? Chilaquili? I don't know. There's that something like that. That would be a like fantastic that. action movie. Basically, villain. it's... Down. Look out, it's Chilaquili! <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, mister. I will. Bring it back next week. Now, the kids each have their own taco order. And the boys, I knew it by heart. And I asked them, though, if there's been any changes in their lifestyle. No, we're back in South Texas, where they make the best breakfast tacos in the world. I want my regular. Then you go through the drive through line. And on Sunday or Saturday morning, it takes a little while. They know me there. Mm -hmm. Santa Rosa, fantastic restaurant here in town. And I bring it all home in two big old bags, and then everyone just dives in. Now, I take your mixture when we do it together and put it on a tortilla and make a taco. So that's the eggs a la mexicana with spinach, of refried beans, of potatoes, <laughs> of chili con queso, salsas, and you've got yourself a breakfast that's going to put in enough calories so that when you completely clean the backyard out, for a event of the stature that you've just talked about, mm -hmm. man, you're just good to go. What a beautiful day. Agreed. Very nice. When you come to South Texas, 
find yourself a taqueria. It will not be difficult to do. They are on every corner of the... <laughs> it's like the only thing to eat here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it feels that way. And enjoy along with us. And now it's time for... Table Topics! Oh, I can't wait. You're asking me? Oh, this ought to be a very freaking interesting conversation. Okay. Is monogamy natural for humans? No. Well, that's not very interesting. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> when you look at the animal kingdom, there are very few species where monogamy is a natural, innate practice. Mm -hmm. And so for that, humans can either use that thing that they do where they superiorize themselves above all else and say, like the penguin, we are monogamous. Or we could say, we are just animals, and like all animals, the monogamy will not come naturally. However, the thing that keeps us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom is reason and thought processes and language. And I think that we can adopt a monogamy, so I find that monogamy in a committed relationship probably is the best thing to do. Right, yeah. Consciousness is duality recognizing that in duality... I'm taking notes. I'm going to have to get you to find some terms here. <laughs> Hold on a second. Where's my pen? In duality, you can understand that in our conscious mind, in our mind, we know what death is, meaning we know things die. We feel grief. We have decided monogamous relationships are the best way for humans today. All the things that we have decided, all the codes that we have put in that exist for humans currently, okay? That's where we are in consciousness. Mm -hmm. The duality part of it comes where things that we might think are good could actually be very bad, actually. Mm -hmm. And things that we think are bad could actually be very good. I can think of 10 things off the top of my head that used to be quote unquote good that we have since discovered are actually bad. Correct. So... In this conversation of placing animals and humans next to each other and comparing them and then saying, is a human just an animal or is it superior to animals? We are using our mind too much. Mm. Our dog, for example, doesn't even remember that he was in severe pain two weeks ago. Yes, they do feel the pain in the moment, but here's the thing. They're present. That's why they can live the way they live. It's because they're in the present moment. So the idea of loss of life, loss of partner, loss of, you know, whatever. It happens when it happens. There's pain. We're sad. And then we move on. Mm -hmm. Humans don't do that. We waller in it. We wiggle in it. We victimize in it. We hold on to it. We pass it from generation to generation to generation. And then we've decided that we're better than them because we think about those things. And science and nature and evolution and consciousness and higher consciousness all tells us that we need to be a little bit more like the animals. And sometimes we need to stop thinking so much. This is a built-in taught self-importance, I suppose. Because in the pack of lions, just use a random animal as an example, you will have a pack leader, den leader, a male, a female, da-da-da. And so there is a level of importance. But for a majority, the rest of the population, there is not a level of self-importance. Now, there is a desire to eat a meal. 
And there is a desire to mate and reproduce. Oh, I'm sure that they have desires to feel joy. I know. I mean, I can watch a dog. I can watch animals. I see sadness sure. and joy. Yeah. I see sadness and joy. It's not that they don't have those experiences. It's just that they don't live in those experiences. Correct. They live in the one that exists right in that very present moment. And I'm they don't think right about now, the past and they don't hunt. think about the future. Right. So that's what I mean when I say the duality of consciousness is mm-hmm. we, we have memories and we dream about the future. Yeah. And so we don't stay in the present. And if the present is, I'm in a monogamous relationship with this person and it's working out just fine. That's it. We don't even have to talk about it anymore. If at some point down the road that shifts, oh, f***ing well, that's what it is. I'll move on to someone else or we don't have a monogamous relationship or we whatever, you know, whatever. I'm not prescribing anything for our relationship, by the way. And I'm not suggesting anything. I'm simply saying that we worry about things that I don't believe are as important as we think they are. I think what you're saying, I can maybe wrap it up here, is that we are currently in a monogamous relationship. Things could shift, and we'd like some fan feedback. Exactly. (laughs) I have a new crush. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. Reality is, is that health is a spectrum. And I think that if more people understood that, that health is a spectrum, then they wouldn't feel so small when they've done something they know not to do. Instead, they would go, it's a spectrum. And I did 10 right things today. So the one wrong thing, the one wrong thing with quotation marks around it that I did today, let it go.